Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman. On previous installments of this program, we've discussed how the coronavirus pandemic is impacting Israel and the Palestinian territories, but we haven't quite addressed East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem is a unique place, not quite Israel, not quite the West Bank, and its residents have a unique legal status. To help illuminate how that unique status squares with the need to access things like healthcare services in the midst of this global public health crisis, we're joined today by two experts from the Association for Civil Rights in Israel. The Association for Civil Rights in Israel, or ACRI, is Israel's oldest and largest human rights organization. It works to ensure the Israeli authorities' accountability and respect for human rights through litigation, policy advocacy, public outreach, and education. I have on the line the executive director of ACRI, Sharon Abraham Weiss. Sharon brings a wealth of experience to the job, including seven years as a staff attorney at ACRI. From 2009 to 2014, Sharon also served as the Tel Aviv and Central Israel Region Equal Employment Opportunity Commissioner. Sharon was also among the founders and a board member at Itach Maki, Women Lawyers for Social Justice. We are also joined by Abir Jubran Dakwar, ACRI's Director for Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territories. From 2006 to 2009, Abir worked at Hamoked, where she represented Palestinians from the Occupied Territories in human rights cases, and she was later promoted to the Director of the Legal Team. Afterwards, from 2010 to 2012, Abir worked with Bizchut, the Israel Human Rights Center for People with Disabilities, and took part in a project to advance the rights of disabled residents in East Jerusalem. From 2013 to August 2018, Abir returned to work at Hamoked, where she was a partner in the design, management, and advancement of many projects through that organization. Abir, Sharon, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon, can you tell us a little bit about your organization, about ACRI's history, mission, and the kinds of work that you do? So ACRI uh, was established in 1972, so we are around for about 50 years now. Uh, We have two missions. One is to um, protect human rights defend human rights, and the other one is to promote a discourse of human rights. The way that uh, we act is with three different strategies. The main one is legal strategy. We have a lot of lawyers and we're taking uh, into mainly Supreme Court um, the landmark cases. The other one is public outreach. We do have uh, a website. We're working with uh, the communications and we do have uh, social networks, Facebook, uh, Twitter and uh, and others. And the third one is education. We are promoting uh, human rights values via education, working with teachers. The model of ACRI was followed actually the ACLU. So we are doing advocacy and policy and promoting um, human rights with those tools. Um, most of our work is within Israel, the 1948 borders, and we're doing uh, the whole range of human rights, uh, political rights and uh, socioeconomic rights, the rights of the Arab minority, um, migrant workers, refugees, asylum seekers, women's rights and LGBTQ. And also we are dealing with the occupied territories um, and the rights of Palestinians, which is obviously uh, different. 
And uh, East Jerusalem is also different. In It's a third part of uh, uh, population that we have to deal with. So if I, I was speaking about Israel, the Israeli citizens, um, this is the the first population we're, we're, we're dealing with. The other one is in the occupied territories, the Palestinian refugees uh, in the West Bank and uh, in the past also in the Gaza Strip. But um, the third one is East Jerusalem that have a different background because East Jerusalem was occupied in 1967. But the people, the inhabitants in East Jerusalem, unlike the uh, refugees in the West Bank, got a status in Israel. They're not citizens, they're residents. Um, so they have all the rights, like other citizens in Israel, apart from one. And the one right that they don't have is the right to vote. So they do have any other rights in uh, um, national health services and the right uh, for, for health, for education, for a lot of other things. But this is a unique situation in East Jerusalem. So, Abir, if you could get into what the unique situation of East Jerusalemites has meant for their access to health care, especially considering now that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. Uh, hello to everyone. Um, I just want to uh, continue what uh, Sharon has started. Since we are talking about uh, East Jerusalem, uh, according to the international law, it's an occupied territory, accord in, uh, but since it was annexed uh, uh, by Israel in 1967, according to the Israeli law, we are talking about uh, a, a part that all the Israeli laws applies on, the, on, on that area, including the health uh, instructions and the uh, health policy, uh, the Israeli health policy. Um, we are talking about 380,000 Palestinians that they are uh, permanent uh, residents in East Jerusalem. Third of them live in neighborhoods beyond the wall. Uh, um, uh, they are disconnected from the center of uh, uh, East Jerusalem by the wall. They go in and out through a checkpoint. Uh, some people chose to live in those areas because it's uh, cheaper uh, to have a uh, to rent a house there or to have a, a to buy a house or an apartment there. Um, uh, people uh, in the, in that area, there is a lot of building that they are built without permits. Uh, but Israel rarely demolished the uh, building there, uh, unlike the other parts of uh, our neighborhoods in, in East Jerusalem. So for, the, for a lot of Palestinians, it was kind of a solution to, to live in those areas. In the, in one hand, they can keep their residency. The residency you can lose if you don't prove your center of life in, in Israel. And uh, they can uh, uh, continue be able uh, to uh, move in and out uh, the, the Palestinian neighborhoods. Um, since the beginning of uh, the COVID-19, uh, we had this special effort uh, regarding the different Palestinian neighborhoods in, in East Jerusalem. Uh, from the beginning, we have asked the Ministry of Health uh, to open Corona testing centers uh, uh, in the uh, Palestinian neighborhood uh, themselves and also uh, centers uh, in the uh, neighborhoods beyond the, beyond the wall. Right now, um, 
we we uh, uh, we have a few centers uh, opened uh, and the people uh, are examined and they having uh, uh, tests reg uh, in order to be able to know who's uh, sick and who's who needs to be uh, isolated we sent letter also to the ministry of health asking for information the ministry of health uh, they concentrate uh, in their website and also they have a map uh, in their website uh, uh, information regarding different uh, uh, towns and villages in Israel, including Jerusalem. And they publish their uh, very uh, important information about places that uh, a patient of uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, went to. And the uh, people, you know, uh, know that they need to uh, get into isolation uh, once they know that uh, they were close to a um, patient that uh, of uh, COVID-19. Um, we noticed that in East Jerusalem, in particular, and uh, other uh, uh, Arab towns in Israel, uh, there was no information, uh, uh, almost no information published about uh, about this issue. So we asked the Minister of Health uh, and notified him about this crucial issue, because if people don't know that they need to be isolated, it means that they are uh, they might be affected and they will spread the virus to other uh, uh, families and the relatives and neighbors. Right. I was looking at the Ministry of Health map last week, and I noticed that if you look at Jerusalem, there's only a couple of dots, only a couple points of exposure marked in East Jerusalem, but you go right over the green line, and suddenly there's a bunch of points of exposure marked. Do you see that as indicative of less testing being undertaken in this part of Jerusalem? Because it seems impossible that, that, you, that there's some sort of invisible barrier that's stopping coronavirus from going from one part of Jerusalem to another. I see it. Uh, the other problem that we are facing in East Jerusalem, uh, you are raising uh, uh, another point uh, that also we are dealing with is that uh, there is no information or uh, formal information by the Ministry of Health telling us how many uh, residents of East Jerusalem are affected, are sick uh, by COVID-19. They publish everyday uh, information about Jerusalem in general, but we don't know exactly how many uh, Jerusalem residents are uh, are really affected by uh, by COVID-19, and uh, we know from uh, our relationships with uh, the uh, local committees, uh, the Palestinian local committees in the different uh, neighborhoods that they uh, follow up about uh, residents in each neighborhood. We know that we are having about 135 cases of Palestinian residents. I'm not sure that this is, you know, uh, the uh, formal and final uh, number. I'm sure that there are more people who are sick and they don't know that they ha they don't have the symptoms, yeah? And they don't know that uh, they, they are sick. Uh, over the last uh, week, I can say, we have more tests for people from East Jerusalem. Uh, they started a little bit late, you know, uh, two weeks ago they started to spread the uh, uh, different uh, uh, stations to be able to get uh, access to the uh, testing uh, centers. And I hope, you know, in the, in the, the next uh, two, three weeks, we'll have more tests and we'll know better about the situation. It's uh, crucial because if you are talking about 
uh, East Jerusalem, uh, it's a very populated area. Uh, due to the Israeli lack of uh, expanding uh, the different neighborhoods and uh, giving permits to people to, to build, some people live in uh, the same house, you know, uh, they share the same house, different uh, families. Uh, some of them chose to live in the neighborhoods beyond the wall. The, it's uh, one of uh, uh, the very populated areas there. That means if once we have uh, COVID-19 starts start to spread there, it means that we will have uh, a human catastrophe, uh, we, can, uh, we can say. So um, we are uh, looking uh, very closely uh, at the situation and at the same time we are demanding the uh, Ministry of Health, the, the uh, body who concentrate all the information about East Jerusalem residents to give us the information, to tell us how many uh, East Jerusalem residents and which neighborhood uh, were affected by uh, by the virus, and also to publish information to the public, to the uh, residents of East Jerusalem, to the different uh, in the different uh, neighborhoods, in order to know uh, where the patient of COVID-19 uh, visited and uh, to notify people that they need to go uh, uh, and uh, be uh, in, in isolation uh, for the public sake. What happens right now, if I can share with you, uh, a lot of residents in uh, East Jerusalem, they go publicly on Facebook and they uh, say the, that uh, my name is this and this and uh, I was uh, uh, diagnosed by COVID-19. I'm asking everyone uh, that was uh, close to me in the last two weeks to go uh, for isolation. Uh, so people give up their privacy right now just to uh, make sure uh, that uh, their relatives, their neighbors and co-workers know that uh, this is the situation and please uh, be careful. Speaking of privacy issues, one of the topics that has attracted a lot of attention in Israel since the onset of this pandemic has been the role of the security services in handling the contact tracing and tracking of people who have been infected, particularly the role of the Shin Bet, Israel's internal security service. How does this look when carried out in predominantly Palestinian areas like in East Jerusalem or in the Israeli Arab towns? Is there any kind of a different reaction to the activities of security services there as opposed to in the predominantly Jewish areas of Israel? So, as for the uh, surveillance that are being uh, used by the government of Israel, ACRI uh, submitted a petition against uh, the, the methods that were uh, enacted originally by uh, emergency rules in Israel. And we had uh, quite a success. Um, on, on April 22nd, uh, the parliament decided to cancel the, um, uh, the, the discussion or to withdraw the procedure that allowed the police to follow, to tap phones. So it's not going to be um, relevant anymore. It was cancelled and this is due to our petition. And the authorities of the Shin Bet is currently under uh, discussion. We are uh, waiting to a verdict of Supreme Court. 
as far as we know, I mean, our petitions were against the use of it. We did not distinguish in our petition about, uh, between the implementation in the various areas, they, neither for citizens nor for uh, Palestinians. We just uh, petitions against the practice. If I may add, regarding East Jerusalem, if we are talking about the practice of uh, of the Shin Beit uh, accessing to the phones, as you know, they should access to the phone to know uh, where the patient visited, the, uh, which places they visited, and then to send SMS uh, message, you know, messages to the different phones that they were close to that uh, patient. Although they have the right, you know, to do it and they access the phone, as far as we know, residents of East Jerusalem did not get messages that they need to go to isolation. So on one hand, they access the phones. On the other hand, they don't send the messages. It's a, a kind of a weird uh, situation. Speaking of access, earlier, Abir, you were talking about people who live in East Jerusalem in areas that are physically cut off from the main part of the city, areas that are on the West Bank side of the barrier. How are those residents' access to healthcare services impacted by their physical isolation? They have what we call Kupat Khulim. They have their uh, clinics. In, in East Jerusalem, they are, I will not get into details, but they are run by private parties. Uh, and they can uh, go and access their uh, uh, doctor there. So it's a, uh, it hasn't been a, a problem. The problem was that if they needed to uh, get a test, they needed to enter through the checkpoints and uh, get tested. Right now, we know that they they have access to tests in the, uh, even the, uh, through the, the different clinics in Kufr Aqaf, for example, and the refugee, uh, the Sharfat refugee camp. And if they uh, need to get to the hospital, also they have access to the uh, Israeli uh, hospitals, whether it's in East Jerusalem or in uh, in West Jerusalem. Uh, we sent a letter with Hamuket, Physicians for Human Rights, the Minister of Health, uh, and the head of uh, Megan David Adom, uh, the ambulances. Uh, to demand that uh, uh, Magen David Adom uh, workers to be able to get uh, into uh, the neighborhoods in East Jerusalem. Uh, I'm talking about the neighborhoods uh, uh, beyond the wall in order um, to evacuate uh, patients if, uh, if needed. We know that the Red Crescent and the MADA right now, uh, uh, they work uh, with coordination uh, on this issue. So whoever needs to be evacuated to uh, uh, the hospital, it's uh, it's possible. Um, also recently was, uh, I think due also to our uh, letter, they published a special uh, phone number for uh, uh, the Israeli uh, ambulances, Megan David Adom, that you get answered directly in Arabic. And you can, uh, uh, you know, ask for ambulance or uh, to have uh, uh, a medical uh, advice uh, directly in Arabic without uh, uh, calling uh, the, the regular uh, number where you have answer in Hebrew. Uh, it's important to say that uh, although East Jerusalem uh, is uh, the Israeli law applies on East Jerusalem, but it's a, new, a very unique place. Uh, people there, or most of the people there, don't speak Hebrew. Uh, and if they speak Hebrew, 
Uh, they not necessarily know how to write and read in Hebrew. And that's due to the uh, education system. Uh, most of the uh, schools there, uh, they teach according to the uh, Palestinian uh, system where the Hebrew is very weak if they have, uh, uh, if they have Hebrew. So um, uh, the communication issue is uh, crucial. That's why we asked head of the television uh, uh, program, the public uh, Israeli public uh, broadcasters, to provide uh, real time uh, uh, in Arabic uh, during the nightly uh, news, where they have updating about the uh, crisis situation, uh, and we asked them to expand. The news to bring uh, uh, important uh, figure, figures in uh, health and to speak to the public, to explain uh, to them about the COVID-19. There was lack of information. And uh, due to our uh, letter, uh, in response to our uh, letter, they uh, actually expanded the news. Today we have uh, experts in different areas, including health, uh, talking about COVID-19 and uh, uh, and also a live uh, translation to the um, uh, Ministry of Health and the other uh, 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 other ministers other ministers uh, statements about uh, the situation and and I think it's very uh, I, I think it's very important to uh, explain to the people why they need to be isolated, why they need to stay home and not just give orders. One of the more contentious issues facing East Jerusalem residents is the practice of home demolitions by the Israeli authorities. Abir mentioned the access to building permits in East Jerusalem. Having your home demolished is always a terrible thing. Homelessness is always a terrible thing. But anything that was terrible before, the impact is just amplified by the fact that we're all living through this global public health crisis now. So has ACRI undertaken any work in trying to mitigate the impacts of these home demolitions, especially during the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, Yes, we did. Uh, We appealed to the uh, Ministry of uh, Justice and also the regarding uh, East Jerusalem and Israel. And also we addressed this issue to IDF, uh, the Central Command, uh, demanding them to freeze uh, uh, home demolition uh, both in Israel, East Jerusalem and uh, uh, the West Bank. Uh, And in response, they said that they will freeze uh, existing uh, demolition orders of populated uh, buildings. So uh, we have been, we had a success in uh, in this matter and it's a relief for uh, uh, hundreds of uh, families who uh, have uh, home demolition orders in this uh, period. I imagine that some of the issues that you've laid out, for example, the communication problem, the idea that some instructions from the government, from health services that are in Hebrew, maybe inaccessible to residents of East Jerusalem, have been a problem before the coronavirus started. Are are the changes that you're seeking and the solutions that you're seeking, are these things that you hope will also have a positive impact once this crisis has passed and just helping 
East Jerusalem residents to access healthcare services and access state services on a more day-to-day basis and not just when we have a global public health crisis at hand? Yes, and uh, I can say uh, it's uh, ACRI's work, actually. That's what we do on a daily basis uh, before the... we did it before the corona uh, or the COVID-19 started and during the COVID-19, uh, we uh, always ask the different ministries, whether it's the uh, postal office or the employment office, to uh, uh, make it possible to uh, translate the information to uh, East Jerusalem uh, uh, residents. Uh, it's something that we will uh, continue addressing uh, uh, even after the COVID-19 pass. One of the things we dealt with in this period was having access to the unemployment money or payment in order to have, as you know, in Israel, more than one million people are without jobs right now. Part of them are East Jerusalem residents. And due to the restrictions of on the freedom of movement, people were asked to apply Uh, to the uh, employment uh, payment online. Uh, All the documents were in Hebrew, and we asked the uh, National Insurance Institute and also the employment office to uh, have access to these documents in Arabic. In response, uh, they had the volunteers uh, uh, from the Hebrew University uh, that helped uh, East Jerusalem residents uh, uh, to be able to fill these documents. And uh, lately, the uh, employment office had uh, uh, is going to have special employees in order uh, who speaks Arabic uh, to be available uh, to help uh, residents of East Jerusalem online in order to make sure that they would be able to get their uh, payment check uh, on time. I think the the, the COVID nineteen is uh, colorblind or uh, there's no place for discrimination. Like the um, the attitude to the whole population and the access to justice, to good, to services should be for all the population, just for everybody. And I I hope that this will be clear after this terrible pandemic that is attacking all of us around the world. I totally agree with Sharon, and I think you can see that there is kind of cooperation between the different NGOs and uh, good responses from uh, uh, different offices uh, and the government. They are trying to give uh, response, including in East Jerusalem, to different issues that we raise and uh, uh, talk about. And also, I think it's important to uh, emphasize the importance of uh, the Palestinian uh, doctors, nurses, uh, uh, and staff uh, who uh, uh, stand uh, hand by hand with the uh, Jewish staff uh, and uh, they fight uh, for the lives, to save lives for both Palestinian and uh, uh, Israeli uh, patients. You raise a lot of good points, and we hope that those kinds of positive changes can be taken out of what is, of course, overall, a very bad situation. Sharon and Abir, thank you for joining us today, 
and for sharing your insights. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Israel Policy Pod. We'll catch you on the next one. And please keep on tuning in to our regular Tuesday video briefing series, our next program on Tuesday, April 28th, taking place at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. We'll feature Ambassador Daniel V. Shapiro, good friend of Israel Policy Forum, and a previous guest on this podcast, speaking about U.S.-Israel relations in the age of annexation. So you can check that out and find registration information on our Israel Policy Hub website. That's at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash hub. Stay well, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll catch you on our next episode.